You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. It's good to be here with you. If you have any questions for me, don't hesitate to write me. NowhereToRunRadio.com is the main website. There you will find links to all the different podcasts and blogs and websites and so on that I am a part of. Speaking of that, the first show note for the day is the so-called everything feed. This is because lately I've been doing a lot of podcasts, but they are not showing up on this feed, the Nowhere to Run feed. And if you, I think I've probably done three or four podcasts since I put out the last Nowhere to Run. So if you're interested in that, you can subscribe to the Everything feed, either on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you have. And that will include Nowhere to Run. It'll also include the new Ancient Aliens Debunked podcast. This is a podcast where I sort of do updates on the various blog issues on it from Ancient Aliens Debunked. And I have about three of those podcasts up at the moment. Also, I'm going to be posting the interviews that I've been doing on the other radio shows and other podcasts. So if you're interested in that, it's basically people just interviewing me mostly about Ancient Aliens Debunked, but I'll also be posting the other any other interviews that I do. I think I'm doing one next week about Zeitgeist. So it'll just be all over the board. Whatever people are interviewing me about will also be put on the everything feed i could name a few of the different ones um recently i'll just go down the list here what's on the feed radio liberty with dr stan the paranormal podcast the ewp podcast that was uh, also a paranormal uh show the corbett report with james corbett corbettreport.com really enjoyed that it's also available in video I think I may have already mentioned Canary Cry Radio and Revelations Radio Network News on this podcast, but that's also on there. In addition, A View from the Bunker with Derek Gilbert, William Henry's podcast Revelations, and Conspira Normal with Adam Sane. That's a guy that I actually used to go to church with. He's got a Christian-based paranormal podcast now. So all of those are on the Everything feed along with Bible Prophecy Talk, which is uh, just posted a, a new episode of that it's an interview with Alan Kirshner, as well as the feed for verse-by-verse Bible teaching, which I've just posted two new shows, part one and part two of the new study of the book of Daniel. And I'm really excited about this study because, first, it's just such an awesome book. It's so practical, but it's also so important in terms of Bible prophecy, in terms of what we can and know about the Antichrist and his rise to power, as well as just all these amazing tidbits that apply all over the place. Daniel is just so important of a book, and it's something that I felt I've never, although I've known it well, I've never known it to the depth that I would want to know it. And I think that doing studies that you know you're going to be doing in front of a lot of people force you to do the kind of work that you wouldn't do on your own. And that's why 
the best way to learn just about anything is to teach it because you can stay a week ahead by reading the commentaries and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, I wouldn't uh, normally, if I was just going to study Daniel for myself, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to go buy three commenta- commentaries and get a whole bunch of uh, scholarly papers on it or whatever if if it was just me trying to figure something out. But since I know that I need to be accountable for it and I want to do a good job, if you're presenting it for somebody, you're going to do that. And so that's the reason I wanted to do Daniel is because I wanted to come out of this study knowing a whole lot more about it than I did going in. So maybe you can join me on that journey of figuring out more about Daniel. And the next podcast is actually going to be simulcast as a video because... It's got prophetic significance. It's the first part of Daniel that has a lot of prophetic significance. It's the interpretation of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about. And I think it'll be interesting. I take a slightly different view on the uh, feet and toes mixed with clay issue on that last part of that statue than I've been hearing a lot lately. And I hope it's a more sober view, but you can be the judge of that if you listen to the upcoming episode or watch it, whatever, at versebyversebibleteaching.com, or as I've been mentioning on the Everything feed. One more uh, sort of show note thing. I just updated the site, a new theme, a few different features, including an archives page on on the main website that actually more or less works. So you can check that out there. Also wanted to remind people of the Christianity 101 DVDs. These are now eight gigabytes of material audio mostly, some video, some text, even some Bible software on this uh, DVD that I'll send out to you absolutely free, no obligation whatsoever, wherever you are in the world, I'll send it to you. Just go to my website and hit the Christianity 101 button and fill out the form and I'll get one out to you. I usually send them out on Fridays. So, All right, with all those notes, let's move on to the main part of the show. And so what I want to do here is I want to talk about something I've been thinking about like almost nonstop for the past three weeks, maybe. Um, that is what to do next. And whatever I decide is basically going to take my time up for the next year. And before any of you tune out thinking, oh, great, this is going to be a podcast where he just talks about what he's going to do with his life or whatever. I do hope to to actually give you some new information and in, in, while I talk about some of the different project ideas Because if you've been a listener of this show, you'll know that um, usually before I do any kind of video or project, I'll talk about it here first and give a jumbled explanation of the main points and basically give you the the whole thing here before I actually do the project. Even though if you can stand listening to all the uhs and you knows and all the the imperfections that this podcast offers, it does give you the content before it actually shows up, you know, a year later. Or whatever, however long it takes to do the research and actually put it out. So I posted on Facebook a few days ago a list of possible documentaries. I, I've been bitten by this documentary bug and I feel like that I could do a lot more if I put things out in full-length feature format. Although I can only take on so many of those projects at a time. And so therefore it, it's really important to choose the right one. And... Um, so I kind of put this out on Facebook to see what kind of response. I already had my favorites, but just wanted to sort of double check and and try to make sure that they fit under the main umbrella of what I want to do with the ministry stuff that I do, which is evangelism and discipleship and, and making sure it all falls under that umbrella. But anyway, 
So to make a long story short, and I've been thinking about this forever, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start writing more articles and turning those articles into short videos. So I've got a lot of topics that I'll mention here in just a second. And for the most part, I'm going to relegate these things to short videos as opposed to full-length documentaries. Although I would love to be able to do full-length documentaries on all of these. But... Um, but I don't think I obviously can. I just can't. Um, I wish I, I wish I could. I wish that there was a possibility. One of my dreams someday is to do a, um, to have like sort of a production house where you know have lots of talented people like animators. I need an animator so bad that was just somebody that, you know, was there and could work with and stuff like that. But anyway, I'd love to do that kind of stuff and to be able to have multiple projects like this going on. But it's just not feasible. But anyway, so here's some of the list. The, here is the list that I put on Facebook. The first one I was thinking at the time was Jesus's existence. I've been I've been doing a lot of research into apologetics lately. I'm trying to prepare for some upcoming interviews and stuff like that. And I really want to be sharp on all my apologetic stuff. And so I've been revisiting a lot of this stuff and the, a lot of the debates. And I'd love to see something significant done in terms of a documentary film on Jesus's existence that wasn't just sort of the first tier apologetics. You know, they mentioned the different, uh, they mentioned the different historical evidences and sort of counter the, the mythicist position, but they don't really go that extra step of dealing with the mythicist counterpoints to those. So something very, very thorough with the just cutting edge, scholarship and and really trying to interview the the critics as well as the um the scholars in the field and the historians and the atheist historians I'd love to do that that would be great because it's needed but at the same time I don't really need to be the guy that, to do it somebody could do that way better than I could and so I probably will do nothing on that one I've already done a a a thing on Jesus' existence obviously the stuff I've done on Zeitgeist is all about that. I, I usually point people to um, Zeitgeist History Rewritten if I want to explain about the mythicist position. I think that's that really does. That's my attempt at sort of being on the cutting edge of this debate. So so that's what I normally point people at. So in a lot of ways, I've really done what I've wanted to do on it anyway. So anyway, moving on. The other thing that I would love to see done in a full-length film, but I probably will just end up doing a short video on, is is Noah's Ark and the Flood of Genesis 6 a rational belief? This, obviously, with Ancient Aliens debunked, has been like the number one thing that people are saying to me about Noah's Ark. Can you possibly believe in this? And all the different things that, that go with that. And I'd love to do a full-length kind of thing. Uh, uh, just to spend a year researching it and not just the points, but the counterpoints and the whole the whole bit. Just a very exquisitely done presentation. I think that this one, my view on this is different enough that you wouldn't find it any, any other place. And me right now, when I try to explain the flood to people, I'm having to be like, okay, we look at this guy, but don't pay any attention when he says this. And look at this guy, but don't pay any attention when he says that. And, and look at this and look at this. And I've they're all over the board, so I'd love to be able to just have an easy button and, and show one thing to people. Let me go ahead and describe that um, to you, just so I can fulfill my promise to to go ahead and, and, and do that before the film comes out or the video. My view on the flood is, for the most part, I, I love the work that uh, a lot of the people do, like Answers in Genesis and so on, or all the different creation ministries, when they show 
the the boat and the different things that are going on with that. It really is uh, very possible for what a common objection is how to get the animals on the boat and and there was a great uh, study done that's called the a feasibility study that actually goes through and okay, well, okay, what kind of animals need to get on this thing and how much space do we have and all those details. And I don't want to just stop at the feasibility study because any good person that's been in the trenches here knows that there are uh, responses to that feasibility study. And that's what I'd want to do. I'd want to deal with the responses to the responses and so on. But it still is good for a lot of different reasons. And one of those reasons is it shows, okay, if these are the animals we're dealing with, then by his calculations, dealing with, um, essentially, I think he does, is it species? Not, there is speciation, the genus, basically. Um, so, for example, we know that all dogs came from a wolf, like a Chihuahua to a St. Bernard. They all have one common ancestor. It's just a well-known fact. So when the Bible says you put animals according to their kind on the boat, it's according to their kind. Speciation is a, an adaption to an environment is not a problem in even the most traditional circles. Uh, animals adapt to their environment. Speciation occurs. You breed a dog with another dog, whatever. Things are going to happen. But it's the jumping from species thing that uh, that uh, that we don't, of course, buy. Anyway, so you can do the calculations. We need this many animals. And even in the calculations that they use, the the most of the sort of uh, people in this camp, and I don't want to say young earth or old earther because I am neither, and I wish that they both could get along because I think that there's a unification theory here that I'll talk about. <coughs> but but what a lot of these people will do are they're trying to get dinosaurs on the ark and they're trying to exp and and they're trying to get all the extinct species that have ever lived on the ark as well, and that is. And problematic, but even then, with those numbers, they're still only filling up like forty something percent of the ark, and the rest of it is used for food, water, living space for for the rest of the people. So when people say there's not enough room to get all these animals on the ark, well, even with their numbers, they're still, you know, they've still only filled up forty percent of the space in the ark. I can't remember how they they have a lot of illustrations to how big the ark is, but it's got a lot of room on it. So there's those kinds of things uh, that I'd like to deal with. And of course, um, I don't think that dinosaurs are necessary. I don't think that we need to make geological time go away. I'll talk about that in a minute, as promised. But the other thing about the flood that people will ask is, well, how did where did all the water come from? You know, if you it says it went twenty feet over the mountains, and how are we going to make this any of that make sense? And the you don't have to. The Bible does all the heavy lifting here. The Bible says that the rains came as a result of the fountains of the great deep bursting forth in one day. In one day, all the fountains of the deep burst forth, and then it rained. That's the order in which the Bible says this. The rain, if you will, is a result of the fountains of the earth um, uh, bursting forth. Now, I used to look at this as... Well, you know, some underneath the, the oceans, like something opened up and the oceans just got more full. But that's not what I think happened anymore. I'm subscribing more and more to something called the hydroplate theory, to an extent with caveats. The hydroplate theory by an MIT guy named Dr. Walter Brown. I am blown away by this guy. And I've been sitting for the last few weeks just reading you know, rebuttals to, to his arguments. So please don't send me 
the the things, the rebuttals to Walter Brown or rebuttals to anybody that I'm talking about, because I guarantee you I've seen them and read them. But the but I love reading rebuttals, especially if I read them and find, hey, they don't really have a whole lot on this guy, or if the stuff that they have on him is mostly on the stuff that I don't agree with either. So, but anyway, to make a long story short, the hydroplate theory is that that there was a uh, a great deal of subterranean water that was um, covered essentially by a huge um, 10-mile-wide granite uh, you know, encasing that all burst forth, which made the Mid-Atlantic Rift. If you look between the oceans there, there's what you can see is this massive, massive mountain uh, range that extends over the entire world. It's like a big circle. And that is where he proposes all this water, this superheated, super pressurized water, and he goes through all the details and the math of the whole thing, comes up out of this thing. It actually causes the continental divide. You know, I've been looking a lot into plate tectonics, and people say that this has something, you know, it's refuting plate tectonics and these types of things. But I could go into the details, and I, of course, would in, in, the, in the video, but I'll just say for now, I take Walter Brown's theory, and you can look it up on YouTube, of the hydroplate theory very seriously in terms of the water and how it all got there and how it covered the mountains and everything. First of all, it's important to realize like Everest or whatever, people always say, well, there's seashells and there's, there's all these fossils on Everest. So obviously and any scientist will tell you, they'll say, well, that's because Everest was underwater at some point. Well, Everest and the whole Himalaya range came above water when India jammed into Oh, it was in Eurasia and caused the Himalayas to rise. I mean, you can look at the Himalaya mountain range as opposed to, and the whole continent of India was, had all this momentum going across the, what's now the Indian Ocean, or basically every, from, from the tip of Africa or whatever, barreling towards Eurasia and crashed into Eurasia, therefore pushing up the mountain range. That's not, that's not anything but mainstream science. So it pushed up the so Everest and the re, and what I'm trying to say is that that happened as a result of these waters bursting forth. It's a post. Anyway, you can look it up if you want to. But where I disagree with him is that I see no reason. What he I think he goes a little too far in trying to say that the uh, that this explains the fossil record and this explains all geological time and everything. What I think actually I think he makes a good point in that this does explain. Uh, some of what we're calling fossils or whatever, but it by no means could explain all of it. And I think that's mostly the criticisms are are formed around that issue and then also on the plate tectonics issue. But you can listen to a mainstream explanation of plate tectonics, which is a very new science, and they'll tell you straight up, the National Geographic study on plate tectonics ends by saying, we have no idea you know, how this works, and we may never know. <laughs> they don't know. They, they hypothesize that it's due to the convection of, I don't want to go into a lot of details, but they have a hypothesis, but they really have no idea what is driving plate tectonics. And anyway, you can you can study the hydroplate theory for yourself. I do encourage that. But the other issue that I think explains the fossil record and explains geological time and explains we don't have to explain away 14, 15 billion years. And I think that's what you get to have your cake and eat it too with Gerald Schroeder. And not just Gerald Schroeder. I kind of want to take Gerald Schroeder out of the equation because let's just call it time dilation. Because unless you're dealing with time dilation, and you're a young earther, old earther, you haven't you haven't uh, dealt with this question yet. 
unless you part of your answer has to do with time dilation you do not have a sufficient answer of whether it's a young earth or old earth creation or it doesn't matter if you're either of those if you're an atheist or whatever you still have to deal with this truth that time dilation exists einstein's theory of relativity that it is basically to put to put it real simply time and space are connected and they are affected by things like gravity and the speed of light or speed in general so for example if a person is if i take two exactly identical watches they actually did tests with this exact same experiment and one person go one person goes in a plane and therefore goes and goes around the world really fast and the other person has the the watch on his uh, his you know is on the ground has his watch when the person gets back the clock or the guy in the plane will actually be ticking a few seconds slower it's hypothesized that, that a person that spent their whole life in a plane like a flight attendant or a pilot or whatever is actually and over the course of their life about 15 minutes younger than the rest of us time goes slower the faster you go closer to the speed of light that's why there's all these sort of problems with the idea of light tr speed travel or even just going really fast in space because you won't be aging while everybody else will be aging back home you come back home and like every that's why star trek would never work you know every we, we go warp speed or whatever into the far distant places and we come back home and expect to find our somebody there is like nobody's there we're all we're we ate everybody here i heard somebody say in a in a recent podcast about that but um it, it wouldn't be the same at all if you come back but that actually nasa is aware of this nasa actually adjust the clocks on the space shuttle it adjusts the clocks and has a whole bunch of different things for satellites that are going fast to adjust it for time dilation so anyway what i'm saying is that this is a real thing if you are going super 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 fast time is not <laughs> going super fast time is slowing down it's the same thing with time being affected by gra gravity this is the whole theory that the the heavier object these supermassive objects like planets or black holes or whatever they are displacing so much uh space time that 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 time is going slower so if you were standing on jupiter and i was standing on mercury and there was some an unbiased observer with two live camera feeds on both of us watching us both simultaneously from his un from his vacuum where none of this mattered he would see us both age differently you would see for example mercury the mercury person age and die a lot quicker grow a beard and everything else where the guy on jupiter or, or whatever is just like looking at his watch like it's only been a what a few weeks or whatever for me but to this guy it, he's already dead and to the unbiased observer it's only been you know whatever time it has been for him that's why a scientist knows to say if he's talking about the age of the universe he must say the, for example, the Earth is 14 billion years old from the, or the universe is 14 billion years old from the Earth's perspective, because that number would be drastically different if you set it from the Sun. It's a, it's a, it's down to a calculatable number. It's called gravitational uh, something. But anyway, it's the, it's a million million somethings gosh it's pretty technical and there's a ratio that you can use based on let me get to the meat of the matter here 
if the Big Bang model is true, and there was a Big Bang, and now we are expanding out, the universe is expanding into nothingness, space-time at the edges of this thing is expanding into nothing. And it's going slower as it expands, which means that it was going much, much faster at one point, especially towards the beginning of its expansion. It was going much, much, much faster. And I don't know if that, like, close to the speed of light. And it has been exponentially going slower. And that means that really time, really, really time, not just the perception of time, but actual time has been go was going much, much, much slower at one point. This actually means that you can have 24-hour days or literal revolutions of, or, or rather the rotations of the Earth or whatever, that encompass huge amounts of geological time. Like a lot of things happen in one day if time is going a lot faster. I hope that makes sense. But it's it's that part of this theory that that what would happen if time was going slower is uncontested. Now, people can contest a lot of things about, about Gerald Schroeder, like one of the things that he did, which I think was brilliant, is he basically took this, this rate of declination, a rate of yeah, the universe is expanding, right, and it's going slower. And he said, okay, if it's going slower by this amount, we can apply, apply this to this equation and actually found that you could easily take these six or the take these 14 billion years and applying this same peer-reviewed numbers that they are using would actually equal to here's the punchline six literal 24-hour days that encompassed all known geological time that's gerald schroeder nuclear physicist mit um so the the problems people have with them is they sort of uh, quibble about that particular issue. Well, it wouldn't be exactly six days or whatever, and I think it's actually pretty darn close. You can see his website, he's sort of got interacting with all that stuff. But the, but the fact remains that it's true. When you look at the refutations and stuff of of Gerald Schroeder, because, of course, anybody that's got anything is going to have refutations or whatever, it never deals with this thing. Nobody ever talks about it. But this is true, though. We still have to deal with this. Young Earthers, old Earthers, this is what we're looking at. We are dealing with a lot of time in the in the course of the history of the of the universe uh that that would be like time was moving exponentially slower and huge amounts what would be considered to us billions and millions of years as it declines in one day it's just and of course if the reading of genesis is perfect for that because you have the exact way that that everything was created and the way we know in terms of geological time you know there was water first there was single-celled organisms in the sea before there was multi-celled organisms in the sea all this stuff fits perfectly with how the the book of genesis describes uh describes that and you could see you can see that there's a book the science of god that describes that and a lot of the other issues with evolution and everything but you can see on his website geraldschroeder.com uh, he's got a section there about articles. You can learn about that. You can learn about uh, the other issues with time dilation. And I think time dilation helps us to understand a lot more than just the creation of the universe. Because if you apply that out, that basically, I don't want to go too much into this. I, I've already gotten too far. I'll stop there and say that if you if you take time dilation into account and you take the hydroplate theory into account, and you therefore you don't have to deal with dinosaurs on the ark and all that stuff, 
and you don't have to make the fossil record appear because of the flood, then, and I'm not trying to belittle those things because I think to a degree that's true. There's a lot of stuff in that that's absolutely 100% true. And I think the hydroplate theory does mention some of that, but not all of it. And not all of geological time and not all of the anomalies can be explained by, by the flood, in my opinion. And I don't think this is this isn't a shot in the dark. This is this isn't like oh I wish there was some other thing. This is like well this is true. I mean that's something we have to deal with is this time dilation. And of course, with the hydroplate theory, I just think it's amazing. So and then and then you add to that the stuff that people are already doing great work with the feasibility study of the ark. You know showing how yes a huge wooden boat would not collapse as the BBC said and just show all these great things show they they do great work on that i my only beef with a lot of those ministries is trying to trying to account for all geologic time and trying to put dinosaurs on the ark and all that stuff so and i guess i, I do sound like i'm belittling it but i'd love to do something on on that a full-length documentary but i think what i'll probably do is an article and a and a short video on that particular issue trying to move on here to the next one is uh dmt this is the drug that became very, very popular with Terrence McKenna and has subsequently become very popular with a documentary that's been out and on Netflix now. And it's just really taking off. And it's a drug where people come in very immediate contact at certain doses with uh, entities that are described in various ways. Machine L's, as Terrence McKenna used to say, but a lot of different ways that people describe these things. And they are very quick to to give some advice and do a whole lot of things that I would have a very different take on. And also, as a part of this, also talking about drugs like ayahuasca, which is basically not the same thing, but the active ingredient in ayahuasca is DMT. Also psilocybin and some of the issues surrounding that. Really asking some of the questions that I would prefer a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people that are in this culture of the drug culture, the psychedelic community stuff, they're trying to get everybody to realize that this stuff is real. It's like, that's what they want to, they feel like they're fighting a battle to get people to recognize that they are in contact with real beings. You know, somebody listen to us. We are really having a spiritual experience here. And it's like, yeah, yes, you are. And it's one of the most documented kinds of spiritual experiences in almost every culture everywhere. And what I'd like to do is do a study, an anthropological study of the beings that they're so happy to be in contact with and see if history says that they should be a little more careful with it. You know, it's so easy to believe a being that tells you, oh yeah, you know, love and enlightenment in 2012 and whatever they tell you. And, and, and I think that we just sometimes forget the voices of the past saying, hey, remember, these things are really smart and they will tell you what you want to hear. And they know what book you were reading on the plane ride over here to Peru and everything else. But they but they are they have an agenda. And what I'd like to point out is is that nobody is questioning these beings at all just because they're telling us what we want to hear in our sort of Western mindset, but they, they don't tell people that aren't in a Western mindset, this stuff about 2012 and enlightenment and, and all this stuff. They tell people in Africa, there was a woman in Africa that in her contacting the spirit, because she went to the witch doctor for 
um, school fees. But when she contacted him, the spirit told her, yeah, we'll give you the school fees, but you've got to sacrifice your kid. Just absolutely no veneer necessary because there is no veneer in that part of Africa. It's just right to the point. Same way it was with all the cultures that were doing heavy drugs with, that were heavy in shamanism. They would give you what you want, but going to need some sacrifices and a whole lot of them. At the very least, people should be like, well, maybe it seems you can contact some of these beings that want us to kill people in order to get what we want. And if you could establish that, which I think would be pretty easy, that hallucinogenic drugs will get you in contact with some beings who want you to kill people. And then I think you could at least get the discussion going as to how can we tell the ones that want us to kill people from the ones that don't? Because as I could demonstrate that it's not just about do they talk about love and light and ascension and, and 2012 or not, That's that could be chalked up to them being smarter and than you and knowing about what you're into. And of course, uh, just like we see with the alien abduction phenomenon and everything else. Anyway... With that project, the DMT project, I really would like to see it done as a full-length film. And uh, if I do end up doing it, it'll probably be taking more uh, of a producer role in it, working with somebody else on this who has some skill in either the research or production part of it. And uh, I, I'd like to—it's something I'd like to do, but I don't right now feel like I can justify putting that as the number one slot of things that I should do with my time. So. I'd like to see it happen. The other the other full-length project I'd like to do is something about the the idea of a coming Muslim Antichrist. I'd love to just show why that biblically is not just wrong, but dangerous as all get out. Because I think that if you believe in a pre-Revelation 20 Gog-Magog war as the next event on the prophetic timeline, and you think it's going to be Muslim hordes that are going to come attack Israel any day and that God is going to destroy those Muslim hordes and it's going to kick off, I don't know, whatever it would destroy, would kick off, I guess, the rest of the book of Revelation after he destroys these things, then, then you're in a real potential danger if, in fact, the Antichrist, which I think is apparently obvious, will be a Messiah figure to the Jews and will seek to fulfill their prophecies of the kingdom of God having come as as per the rest of Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel 39 through through 48 or whatever, that that's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the city on the hill and everybody comes to them and, and their Messiah being there and, and, and the world being ruled from Jerusalem. That's what they were promised and they're waiting for that. And the person that seeks to deliver that to them will be uh, the guy. And I think that's the angle that the Antichrist takes that we can see that in scripture. He sits in the temple, the God of his fathers. I could talk about all those different things and show why I think, you know, I could talk about the differences between Ezekiel 38 and Revelation 20 as people try to say, oh, they're so different. Well, are they? We could talk about all those things. And I think that I could demonstrate that, hey, if we believe that a coming Muslim horde is going to do this, and in fact, what we're thinking under that mindset is actually going to be God destroying those Muslim hordes, when I think Daniel and the rest of it is describing a conquering Antichrist, you know, who can make war with the beast? This is a guy who is making war. He is trampling on people and and making war all the way up to his to to his declaration of himself as god in jerusalem and the thing is is that when he does that people like it the sacrifices stop not because they're in great turmoil but because they believe their messiah has come and they believe that when the messiah comes sacrifices will stop if 
the Antichrist is the one that's going to be, you know, destroying their enemies in that day. And then, they, and then all Satan has to do is to make the, the current evangelical world and everybody else think that the Antichrist is really Jesus is to get people to believe that the Antichrist will be the Muslims. And that is a dangerous prospect if it's true or some variation of it is true. Obviously, I've got a lot of work to do on that. But if, if it's true, and if anybody wants to see more about that, they can see the Mystery Babylon study that I did, that verse-by-verse -verse Bible teaching, a video series, and also the coming, once I get, I don't know when I'll get to Daniel 11, it'll be months from now, but uh, Daniel 11 and Daniel 12 will obviously be of significant uh, purpose to that, and actually Daniel 7 too, so stay tuned for that. But again, I don't think I'm actually going to get to that and do a full-length movie. I'll probably end up doing, like I said, small articles on this and turn them into videos. Uh, the same thing with a few of these others. I'm just going to breeze past these real quick. The Sabbath is one of these issues that just never goes away. And it's indicative more... I mean, I did legalism debunked, and it talked a lot about those kinds of things. But I think it would be great to just do one on the Sabbath. Show... Uh, I mean, I just had several emails today um, about people thinking that we're, you know, still uh, under the, the the Mosaic Covenant. And that's just theologically impossible. It's just, if somebody has got you believing that you need to do the Mosaic Covenant, then it, it's, it's, it's impossible that you don't understand what the New Covenant was. And I'd love to be able to explain that in detail. I do to some extent, and I think I do an okay job in Legalism Debunked, but I'd love to be do, do a great thing just on the Sabbath because I think it would also help to explain all this stuff about the feasts and and uh, everything else. The other thing would be various issues with ancient aliens debunked, the Sphinx erosion thing. This is more of a small video project. And also uh, there was another thing on the that that I wanted to to do, and I can't think of it right now. It was crop circles so that was another issue yeah anyway so those are those are some of the projects i'd like to do obviously i can't do them all but i i think what i might do is just try through the course of the year set a goal to do some kind of do some kind of thing for each of those topics at least and in the meantime in the meantime continue to go through the daniel study obviously doing the the normal daily duties of the emails and the and the sending out uh, all the stuff and, and anything else that comes up, all the different blogging and podcasts and so on and so forth. But I really would like to also do a major project. And this is what I decided to actually put my time and energy on, and that is sleep paralysis. The thing about that is it wasn't my first choice because by my own human estimation, a lot of the other ones make a lot more sense. And I know some of you are probably like, oh, well, you know, you already did something about that. And I I know that's what I'm saying. But this is the one I feel like I need to do something on. And let me explain a little bit about what's going on with the sleep paralysis thing. So for the past year or so, I've been collecting extremely detailed survey surveys about sleep paralysis from our website, sleepsurvey.org. These things are very complete. And I have a lot of them. I have something like 1,250, 1,300 of these surveys. I've got a ton of data. Now, a lot of peer-reviewed journals are just surveys on sleep paralysis. And an average of the people that have sleep paralysis, maybe 30, 40, 100, 200 people, this is going to be one 
one of the biggest surveys of people that are having sleep paralysis that I think has ever been done. Now, of course, I can't get it published in a journal, but what I can do is something I think much more uh, impactive. So we've got a long time before we can get all this data entered into Excel because it actually takes a long time just to enter one of these things into the Excel spreadsheet, like an average of four or five minutes to do one. So you can multiply that by 1300 and you kind of, we've probably done about a hundred or whatever. So 1200 got a long way to go, but that's one thing that uh, hopefully we'll get some help on with that. And anyway, we'll get that done. And I can already see the preliminary stuff is that this is going to absolutely prove without a doubt, it's going to make a direct correlation between occult activity and high levels of sleep paralysis. I mean, it's going to do a whole lot more than this because it's such a thorough study. I mean, there's any number of things that we could do. But first I want to explain this and I'll explain what I want to do with the movie part of it. That that you can actually show, okay, of all the people, a very small number of people would say, I get sleep paralysis every day or several times a week or something like that. The, the highest you can put is, is seven, basically. And it's actually, in their view, it's a word like every time, every several times a week or whatever. So only a small percentage of the people that get sleep paralysis are having it that much. And it's extreme amount. And if you just take all those people that answered, yes, I'm having it to this extreme amount. And let's say it's 10, 15% of the, of the people that answered the survey are having it to that degree. And you look down, they are also the 10 or 15% that are on the extreme high level of occult practice. See, we can actually use the the peer-reviewed material against them on this because they have determined, and I can cite peer-reviewed journals, where they determined that uh, paranormal belief is a direct correlate. That is, they, they've tried everything. You know, okay, is it, how much do you eat? Is stress levels? And they've tried everything to try to figure out what's causing sleep paralysis. But one thing they've had a lot of success with, although they try to downplay it and they try to make other things look like it, but they always have success with what they call paranormal belief. And they have a survey that they give people called the paranormal beliefs or revised paranormal belief scale. And it shows that they have um, indeed uh, belief in that witchcraft is true and various questions they ask like that. So what they're equating it with is just belief in their mind. It's like, well, they believe this stuff that the people that believe this stuff are having a higher level of this. And, but then another thing that they are teaching in the peer reviewed journals is that, that sensed presence is the, is the factor that causes all the auditory and visual hallucinations. They've got these graphs and they're so hilarious because they, they, they have now deduced since sensed presence is the main thing that everybody that experiences sleep paralysis has, whether they're seeing anything or not seeing anything. They recognize or feel that there is something in the room with them, a sensed presence. That's the number one thing that people that have sleep paralysis report. Even, even before paralysis, sensed presence is there. So they've got sense presence as it's the main sort of thing. And, and they're hypothesizing, of course, with no, you know, people are under the impression that they know what physiologically is causing sleep paralysis, which is a total myth. If you're reading these papers, they have no idea. But but they'll say maybe sense presence is causing fear. And, and then the, the, the fight or flight fear that you're caused because of the sense presence is therefore causing the auditory and, and visual hallucinations. And then you start seeing something and hearing things and all this other stuff. Well, how about an easier explanation of that is that there really is a presence and that's why you're seeing it and hearing it 
because it's there. And I think you can make somewhat of a case. Not I don't have any delusions that this will actually be published in any journal. Don't get me wrong. But here's where the movie comes in. If this survey can be done and it can be done well and the graphs explain it well, because we can do so much more with this. Like, for example, I'm getting off track, but there's so much you can do. For example, of the people that, that are having sleep paralysis to any degree that are not participating in any of the, the things that cause it, and I've got a whole bunch of these things, whether it's uh, they're, they're doing no occult activity and they're doing none of the, the drugs like DMT or some of the other drugs that, that are, uh, you know, correlates to it. If, if a person checks that they're having sleep paralysis, but they have no of those things, of those people that fit that category, almost 90% of them, if not higher than 90%, will check the box that says my parents or grandparents were into the occult or were into uh, high-level Freemasonry or some other fraternal organization. And I could explain to you why that's a sig significant thing or not. But what I'm saying is that it, it's, it's showing another thing that I don't want to get into too much of the details, but you can do amazing things with this thing. We can show the connection between... Uh, like, for example, incubus and succubus attacks or, or rape by these entities and certain drugs and certain other correlates and stuff like that. And each one of those things could be great articles or other things. But I think that a film would be great on this. Uh, and I qu haven't quite determined what that would look like, a feature-length documentary or whatever. But what it would be is pretty unapologetically telling you what these things are and how to stop them. One of the things that I love about sleep paralysis is you see so much good fruit from it. You see people that are have transformed lives because of it, because they're dealing with really, really heavy, evil stuff that they need to go away. And their only answer is Jesus Christ. It's the only, it's the only thing, it's the thing they haven't tried yet. They've tried everything. They've been on the road of drugs and, 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 and trying to do everything that the internet has said. But they know in their heart of hearts that what they are seeing every night is evil and it hates them and when they see the power that Jesus has on the, these things that have been tormenting them, it starts them on the path to figuring out, okay, Jesus is affecting this. Now, who is Jesus? And that really determines it's everything. They, they really they, they rely on him and they become great followers of Christ. So I can explain this all biblically and it would be a way to unapologetically explain why this is occurring, why they are scared of him and what, what that means in the whole grand scheme of thing, how it happens, and being able to show this in the context of the survey, I think it would be a great thing to do. And in one sense, I really want to do it and be, do it completely because I have a lot on my heart about this issue of having talked to people with sleep paralysis over the years, uh, so many people, that there are so many things I want to say to people. But to be able to say all those things while saying at the same time, to, to be able to, in my opinion, prove to them that this is what's happening in a scientific way, because I think that this study will absolutely show it to anybody that's willing to see it, um, because it is a direct correlation. This is 1,400 people that are all saying the same thing, that that there is a correlation between their occult activities or their, their sinfulness and this. Now, that is to say that it's possible, certainly, to have isolated sleep paralysis and absolutely have done nothing wrong. That is possible. It's rare. 
Um, I, I'm not saying that I've done nothing wrong, but I've had sleep paralysis three times or something since I've uh, been doing this, uh, you know, projects or, or, you know, in the last two years or whatever. And each one, and I'm not saying I, I don't sin that much or whatever, I'm not sin free or how to, how to say that. But what I'm trying to say is that in each of those cases, I, I analyzed, did I do anything? Had I been doing something I shouldn't have done? And for you know that particular moment, it was at such a time that I could say there wasn't anything external that I was doing. So it can happen for any reasons. I know it happens sometimes to missionaries or on the mission field. It can happen if they get sent to you. But it and it can happen um, if, as I mentioned, generational stuff where the person didn't have any direct thing that they did themselves. But if it is continuing to happen to you and you and you're thinking, "Hi, hey, I haven't done anything. I don't do occult practices or drugs or whatever." But if you're having it over and over and over, that's not normal. You should not be having it. God does not want you to have it. That's why Jesus Christ gave the authority to his his servants. He says, behold, I give you authority over snakes and scorpions that nothing shall by any means harm you. But in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather that your names are written in heaven. He did it so that nothing shall by any means harm us. He knew that these things were walking around trying to harm us. And he wanted to make sure that we had a really big weapon to defend ourselves. He doesn't want us to be suffering from this. And if you are continually suffering from, from sleep paralysis, you don't have to be. Um, right now, it's going to be a while before any of this gets done. But you can go to the stopsleepparalysis.com or .org site, and there is an audio on there that I put up recently that goes through a lot of the details about how to get sleep paralysis to stop. It's on the front page, and I've updated that somewhat recently, so you can check it out there. So that's my goal. I was actually kind of bummed out the other day. I went to Vanderbilt to print out some um, journal papers about sleep paralysis and some other stuff. And I kind of got like, I felt like real bad because I felt like, because I decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into the sleep paralysis thing. And I was, and I felt like you've already done this and you don't need to be doing this and, and do something else. But it's the one thing that I felt really, really burdened that needed to be done right. And I never have felt like it's been done right yet and i would really like to to hit a home run with this somehow if that turns out to be a full-length documentary in my head right now i don't think it will i think it'll be either a series of small videos or one medium length video but somehow presenting the information of the study in video form or it may be just getting the study done the study itself is going to be a monumental task just to present this in graph form is so daunting but before even that happens i got to enter it into excel which is going to be at least a I don't know how long of a process, but that brings me to the next point. I would actually like to hire somebody to help me with a lot of these potential projects, not necessarily the data entry stuff that I just mentioned, but really more for the getting the content out and being able to produce more material, whether video, audio, or whatever, just to kind of double the output or, or whatever of the things that we're doing. And so this is something I've been thinking about that in order to really get somebody to to do this, who would have to pay them. And I'm willing to pay somebody. It's not going to be much. I mean, it's going to be like minimum wage, whatever that is, $8 an hour or something like that. Even even that with a cap on it, because, you know, we can only pay a certain amount a month. And even then, you know, with the understanding that because it's a donation-based ministry, there are some months that it's possible that we wouldn't be able to pay you. So... You know, I mean, I guess the, on the good side, it would be something that I would hope one day could turn into a 
really, you know, a decent salary for somebody if they were qualified and whatnot to, to help. So I'll be putting this on the website. Um, I'll actually put this one on a different website, the chriswhiteministries.com website. If you go there and go to the contact page, just hover over the contact, and you'll see something called the CWM Assistant Application. And it's I'm looking for a particular person. I would like, I'll just read some of the things on the uh, application right now. First, there's stuff about your Christianity, you know, your testimony, those kinds of things, and skill set, you know, video editing, audio editing, and you don't have to have all these things. I could certainly train you for a lot of this stuff if if it was need need be, but just, you know, mark what you have and explain to a degree any theological or Bible training, evangelism or discipleship. Do you have any skills with websites like WordPress or those kinds of things? Uh, data entry, proofreading, text writing, other skills you might have, different programs, how you know me, who your favorite, uh, you know, podcasters and stuff like just some basic information so I can get an idea who you are and stuff. So if you're interested in applying, you can go to chriswhiteministries.com, hover over the contact button there at that site, and you'll see the section about application for assistant or whatever it's called. So I think that's it. I want to remind everybody about the Everything feed. If you're interested in that, it has um, new podcasts out there. The interviews, obviously, are all new. The Verse by Verse Bible Teaching Podcast has two brand new podcasts and one on the way about the uh, new study of Daniel, as well as new podcasts from Ancient Aliens Debunked and Bible Prophecy Talk. So if you haven't heard a podcast from me in a while, you've got a lot more that you could be listening to in your iPod at the Everything feed. You can sign up for it either on iTunes Chris White's Everything Feed, something like that it's called, or you can just get the link on the main site, nowheretorunradio.com. Thanks to everybody for listening and for your prayers for this ministry. I want it to continue to be effective and more effective than ever, so thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the show. I would like to send anyone who is interested something I've been calling the Christianity 101 DVD. It's a totally free DVD which contains 8 gigabytes of audio and video that I think will be helpful for Christians or anyone interested in Christianity. You can go to NowhereToRunRadio.com or ChrisWhiteMinistries.com to order one. It's 100% totally free and I will ship it anywhere in the world. You can download the archives of this show for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. On that site, you can also see many of the other projects and websites that I'm a part of, such as First by Verse Bible Teaching or Stop Sleep Paralysis or Ancient Aliens Debunked. There you can also get a link to my YouTube page, where I have over 100 original videos about apologetics and various debunkings, as well as biblical studies and presentations of the gospel. If you would like to hear a detailed presentation of the most important message of the Bible, you can go to my website, dvdtract.com. That's DVD. T-R-A-C-T dot com. You can write to me at chris at chriswhiteministries.com or at P.O. Box 110-984, Nashville, Tennessee, 37211. I try to answer almost every email. However, sometimes it can take up to a week for me to respond. Donations are needed and very appreciated, as well as totally tax-deductible. They will help with current and future projects, most of which fall into the category of discipleship, and or evangelism. Thanks for listening.